0: Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we had a dicey, very traditional, get your heart rate up Chiefs game this past weekend, so let's try to, to take a step back, try to relax as we dive back through it, but let's not delay at all. Let's go ahead and introduce the guys. He is leading the Do Not Sign Jonathan Abram campaign this week. Jacob Allen is here. How you doing, dude? Who's Jonathan Abram? He's leading the Bring Back Justin Houston campaign. Sam Blecka is with us. How you doing, man?
1: Can't bring back Justin Houston. We already have a number 50.
0: And I am Sean Deegan, and I am itching to see the coaching duel of Jeff Saturday versus Josh McDaniels this Sunday. It should be a barn burner. Before we dive into the Chiefs, let's start right there with the news from the Indianapolis Colts that kind of has the world of the NFL in a bit of a tizzy, and that is that they decided to let go of head coach Frank Reich in the middle of the season after a three five and one start. And as opposed to you hiring from within, decided to look outside the organization, you know and bring back a familiar face as the interim head coach for the remainder of the year and former Colt center Jeff Saturday, who was serving as an analyst at ESPN prior to taking the interim head coaching job. This has sparked quite a debate because of Jeff Saturday not having, not just any NFL head coaching experience, but any NFL coaching experience at all. With some of the more qualified candidates on the staff that are also Colts legends, it's brought up the question of what the hell are the Colts doing? So let's start right there, gents. What was your reaction to the news that Jeff Saturday was named the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts? Sam, we'll start with you.
1: Peyton Manning was too busy with the Manning cast. <laughs> Probably. The The Colts are a dumpster fire of a team right now. And you don't want to... i have got Matt Eberflus, their defensive coordinator, who is, in all accounts, a very good coach in general. My ex... Estimation is he will be the head coach next year. They didn't want to throw him into the fire of being the coach for the dumpster fire of a team and have to take blame for the rest of this season, even though everyone knows he's the interim head coach. So they bring in a face everyone knows, everyone likes. They lose. Jeff Saturday goes back to his commentating
0: and it's done. So you think that they'll bring that Eberflus will come back from the Bears.
1: Oh, sorry, Iberflus the Bears. What's the not Flus? What's the Colts' quarter or defensive coordinator? Gus Bradley.
0: Oh Excuse yeah.
1: Me. I was mixing up. I looked up. Good, but Gus Bradley is a good defensive coordinator. Excuse me, um, but he's likely their best head care internal coach candidate as their defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley, not Iberflus. And I think it will likely be him next next year as the head coach, um, and Saturday is just a face. Like, you don't – I can't even remember what their – my names are going to fail me tonight, apparently. What's their – the quarterback that they put in?
0: Oh, Sam Ellinger.
1: Sam Ellinger. Like, that – putting Sam Ellinger in is basically just saying, yeah, we gave up, and this is just further proof
0: of that. Jake, what about you? What was your reaction when you saw that Jeff Saturday was taking over the head coaching duties for the Colts? Um, Wes Welker and Ed McCaffrey better uh, make sure their whistles are ready because they've got NFL jobs lined up. Very random. Like, huh? <laughs> I know the a lot of the Twitter talks, like, why don't you just promote Reggie Wayne? Yeah. Makes sense. But at the same time, I think Sam makes a good point of, if you're Reggie Wayne, would you want that in- interim job when you know it's going to be a bad time? But also, at the same time, you can look at it from the Romeo Cornell standpoint of, hey, nobody's expecting me to do anything with this interim job. I end up beating the undefeated Packers, and now I get another year of the job. So I think it really is a weird decision and cannot really be explained other than just Jim Ursay saying, oh, I know Jeff Saturday. I like him. Yeah, Reggie Wayne's the one that jumps out to me, but really anybody else, like, on the staff. Sam, to your point, like, why not Gus Bradley? Like, unless, like, Jeff Saturday really is just a human shield to take all the bullets so that the team being a train wreck has, like, a very obvious answer, which, man, if that's what's going on, that's some 4-D chess um, by the Colts. I don't know that I trust that Jim Irsay is – that many steps ahead of of everybody else. So, for me, I this goes beyond. I know that like there's some discussion going on about like, well, this is just another example of you know passing over minority coaches to bring in a white guy. And I think this goes even beyond that. Brett Coleman did a really nice ten minute video on on YouTube, might ten or eleven minutes, and and he brought up the points like it's it's even more than that. Like you've now bypassed not only qualified African-American coaches, you've bypassed all qualified coaches who have worked to get to this position. And I think that if you would given them the opportunity, any one of them probably would have taken a job to be an interim head coach. Because if you fail, no one really thought you were lined up to succeed anyway with that particular team. Not with Sam Ellinger, at quarterback, but if you have even moments of success, to so your point about Romeo Cornell, that can turn into another job down the line. Maybe not a head coaching job, but like Reggie Wayne moves from a receivers coach to an offensive coordinator and shows that he can call plays, and then moves into a head coaching gig. Like you've you've shaken up the game now to where you kind of you did what the Texans wanted to do last year with Josh McCown. And, and they kind of got shot down because of the whole Brian Flores lawsuit that was going on. It's like, you cannot bypass qualified African-American coaches and other qualified coaches to bring in someone who has no experience. Like, it was almost like the NFL stepped in and said, no, you can't do that. And if they tried to do that with Jimmy Irsay, it clearly didn't work. So I think the next interesting question is, what happens if this works? Like, let's say, like, Jeff Saturday comes in, and they 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 find a way to beat the Raiders this week, which I do not rule out, because the Raiders look like they're a sinking ship, a rapidly sinking ship. So let's say he comes out and beats the Raiders, you know, maybe loses a few games, but gets them to, like, I don't know, 7-10. Or even even six and eleven like if he got that team to six and eleven seven and ten, even if it maybe eight wins, I don't know whatever you deem is a success if he finds a way to be a success and people are looking at him going, huh maybe Jeff Saturday is is legit what do you think the effect is on the hiring process for head coaches because at that point, you have a justification of going, look, this is why I hired him. This is what I thought he could do. And this is why I ba- bypassed the natural order of things. Because there's already, as we mentioned, the struggle with getting you know, black coaches hired in, in, in head coaching positions throughout the NFL doesn't ma- seem to matter what the NFL does. It never seems to level out. You've now bypassed all races and and genders for head coaching when you do something like this in terms of experienced and qualified candidates when you go out and go i am going to get a guy whose coaching experience consists of high school and that's it and he's now an nfl head coach how how do you think that affects the hiring process going forward jacob will flip things and let you back lead off this time it's dangerous territory i guess is what i'd say like hey hire your friends now, I also think it says that Derek Bienemy will be the Chiefs offensive coordinator forever, also. More than likely. Sam, what about you? What what do you think the effects are if if Jeff Saturday is deemed a success in Indianapolis? Nothing. I, I don't think this is Jeff Saturday
1: is a Colts legend. He is the one man that could argue with Peyton Manning and Peyton laughs it off at the end of like laughs that he's mic'd up. Because of it, he is a face. If he's successful, great. Jeff Saturday's also was one of the best centers we've ever seen in the NFL. Like, granted, he had Peyton Manning that ups his level of of skill in, in immensely. But center is one of the hardest positions on the field because you have to understand what everyone is doing. Like, they are the quarterback of the offensive line. So it's not like Jeff Saturday's a moron. The guy knows football. He Guarantee you he understands offensive play design. And at the end of the day, not all head coaches are coaches. Sometimes they are morale guys. They are players coaches. They they are the face of the franchise. That's why you have offensive and defensive coordinators to call plays. So I, I don't think this does anything. It, it may have them look at other guys, but I think most people look at this like, Wow, Ursa is really lucky with that one because I don't think anyone looks at this as a move that's, like, ahead of its time or or Ursay's being some kind of genius. I think Urse needed someone to put in that role, didn't necessarily want to hurt the confidence of one of the guys that they do have confidence in, and Jeff Saturday fit the bill. So he's getting a little bit of a paycheck, and like I said, next year he will be back commentating.
0: I don't – I hope that's, honestly, I hope that's what happens, because I could absolutely see a league that is filled with nepotism turning to family and friends that they like and know and going, do you want to coach? Like, Andy Reid had his son in his coaching staff. Bill Belichick's son is his defensive coordinator. Like... This kind of thing, Kyle Shanahan is in the league because his dad is Mike Shanahan. Turns out Kyle Shanahan can really coach. But I'm not going to believe for a second that his dad being Mike Shanahan didn't have something to do with him getting in the league. This, This kind of thing is everywhere. And it does make me nervous that there can be people who go through the ranks of coaching whether wherever that starts, whether it's an internship where you're getting coffee after a, a, a shortened career in the NFL, where you were part of the not for long league, and you turn to coaching, you you start as intern, you move to like somebody's assistant, and you get you know you go through all those rigors up to a coordinator position or a positional coach, and then somebody says, "I want to hire this person," and I'm just going to do that. That does make me nervous. I hope that what you're saying, Sam, is right, that there's no change in that particular direction, because that would make me feel a lot better. But it does make me nervous that, you know, another legend, I mean, all, all the things that you said, minus maybe arguing with Peyton Manning, are still true of Reggie Wayne. And I think that's where I get stuck because it's like he's on the staff. He knows the players. He also, I imagine, knows what's going wrong in that locker room. I would, if it if it wasn't offered to him, I would have liked to have seen that, or just anybody on the staff who's worked to get to that point, uh, rather than Jeff Saturday, who I'm sure is. I mean, God, no, he's a tremendous center, Pro Bowl, All-Pro, like, just a fantastic player, but it does feel like he's jumping the line a little bit, and that does make me nervous about what it means for for the rest of coaching, which does put me in a weird spot because it's like, I don't want him to fail. I would love it if Saturday succeeded because I don't ever want to see anybody fail, but that would put things in a weird spot, at least for me, on, okay, what's going to happen now?
1: Weird segue real quick, and I don't obviously I don't want to dive too deep in this because we've got a game to talk about as well. How is this any different than Mike Mayo getting the GM job at, with the Raiders? Oh, I don't think it is. I, and I we saw how poorly that went. So I, I don't think – experiments happen, and, and, again, I don't think this is – I don't think this is anything, as I'll repeat, because I think it's just Ursay needed someone to put there, and Saturday, fit. like I said, fits the bill. So if it works, it shows that, hey, Saturday probably knows something about football, number one. And, yes, that is probably a fluke.
0: I think what you're trying to say, Sam, is that we shouldn't be trying to push for Sean being the – Voice of the Chiefs, we should all be hired as the head coaches of the Kansas City Chiefs because it's really easy to talk about what's wrong yep. from our couches at home.
1: Exactly. And we can do lots of mock drafts. Sean, you're the new GM.
0: I mean, mock drafts up. As long as nobody John Gruden's me, we'll be fine. We're he running a 4 2 5 defense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We blitz both linebackers every time. It 4-2-5, works
1: You don't want to run a 5 1. Just a bear.
0: <laughs> All right. You're the new defensive coordinator. I'll stick to offense. Colin Sanders, Mike Dana. You can have defense as long as there's a defensive tight end. All right. Done. Last thing on this topic, and then we're going to dive into the Chiefs game. But just because it's fun to crap on the Raiders, what happens to Josh McDaniels if he does lose to Jeff Saturday this Sunday? Because that's. That's what's on the docket. And they had a 20-point lead on the Jags and lost 27 to 20. I I have to know. What do you guys think happens? Is McDaniels like banned from coaching forever? Like, as far as head coaching, is this it? Like, is this like you better win this one or you're done as a head coach? What happens to him uh if he loses a Saturday? Jacob, we'll start with you. It's wild to say, but I, I think it has to be said. I think you might see Josh McDaniels already get canned again. I know that that's not a long time for a coach, but he's proven it's it's a very big mess. I I just don't know how you would continue to ride with him if he lost to that squad. Sam, so what about you? Do you think McDaniels gets canned if he loses to Saturday, or is there grace there at that point? No, I think he's the next one on the
1: – on the, it's between him and Hackett, who's gone next, and I think McDaniel's is probably next, just because of the volatility of the Raiders. So if he, if he, especially if they have another situation like this last week where they
0: go up and then lose, uh, he's done. If you had told me before the season started that Josh McDaniel's and Frank Reich were both fired before Nathaniel Hackett, I would have put. Everything in my 401k on that. And I would be, you know, world of hurt right now. (laughs) Because I agree with you. I think there's a real chance that he loses and that he's out as the head coach there. But let's not spend too much more time on this. Let's pivot to the game that was, involves our Kansas City Chiefs. Enough attention paid to the Raiders. That's all they deserve. We will move to the Chiefs, barely scraping it by the Tennessee Titans which clearly we all thought uh Jacob you had the Chiefs winning 35-17, Sam 31-17, I was 28-14. Uh, Jacob your bold prediction was that Kadarius Tony would have 40 receiving yards, saying you had Kadarius Tony at 58. I said that they would hold Derrick Henry under 100 yards rushing. I was wrong. Uh I actually didn't check this Fairly, it. it wasn't super far away. No. It wasn't terrible. It was better than I thought, especially I considering Paul, he was I think he had, every, had what, 12 yards? No, uh, yeah, just yeah, 12 sticks. yards receiving uh, on two catches, two targets. Um, Long was a 10-yard pickup. So we were all, you know, in, we were wrong. We were wrong. <laughs> True to form, we were wrong. About literally everything. So oh, Wait, wait, what was Sam's bold prediction? 50-inch uh, yeah. receiving yards for Kadarius Tony Because he was – that was the one I was hoping Try to right, All the yeah. years was Derrick Henry under 100. So, yeah. you were the closest. Uh, you yeah. are only 15 yards off. But I don't feel great about it because he also had less than 20 carries. So, it wasn't even like they held him. Like he was, like, doing 30 carries, like, getting up to 100 yards. He just he, – he did his thing. Well, he did his thing because it was ineffective in the second half. His It's also true. He had two runs that made that total look a lot better than it was. He had two pretty long runs in the game. I'm trying to look for what they were. 50 and a 28, I think. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't feel as bad. Uh, Let's start on the offensive side of the ball, though, because I think that's where uh, maybe some of the more concerning and also fun narratives are um, when you're talking about volatility and just, like, what in the world? Chiefs put up 20 points on the Titans in a game that they also threw the ball all over the yard. Mahomes ended up with 446 yards passing and 63 yards rushing. And they just could not find a way to punch it in most of the game. So, first question just out the gate. Cause for concern? Or are we just chalking this up again to another, it's the Titans, can't seem to play them in anything but a weird, crazy game. What are we chalking this up to, Sam, will let you battle off. I mean, you can never
1: go out of a game like that without any level of concern. I, you'd be amiss to say that that was a great game in any sense. Um, I'm going to really try not to just steal everything Times Zars said today because I listened to their podcast. And everything they said is obviously kind of the way I think we probably all felt, which is, I think it was Seth Kaiser was saying, you know, there's different ways teams get beat. And the last one is sometimes you just have the best player in the world. And he decides that he's going to do it himself. And that's what Patrick Mahomes did. But yeah, it's concerning that you can't get, you can't turn the amount of crazy yardage into points. And the fact that what we held Malik Willis to what 50 yards, something like that, passing
0: 80, 80 yards total 80 passing. Yards. Sorry, it took me a minute to find that. Yeah, 5 passing. 16 and 80 yards. The fact that but 48 of that was picked up on one pass. Yeah,
1: so the fact that you beat a team in overtime by three and the quarterback had 80 yards passing that's concerning to an extent as far as the offensive output. Other than that, I mean, it. it The Titans, the Colts, teams that have great running backs and a solid defense give the Chiefs problems for whatever reason all the time. And it was just, I mean, I feel like kind of as the Colts game, I think I even mentioned it at the end of last podcast where kind of jokingly that, you know, we were saying the same thing going into the Colts game. So maybe we should be a little bit more hesitant. I probably should. We should have heeded our own warning about that, but. Yeah, there, there's a level of concern that you were not converting that into points, but at the same time, we have Patrick Mahomes. Jay, what about
0: you? Uh, cause for concern, chalking up to a Titans game, a little of both. Where are you at with this one? Titans have our number. Titans always have our number and drag us into ugly games. I do think it's encouraging, though, that they won. You know, last year, this game was 27-3. to This year, the Chiefs won 20 to 17. I would say it's progress. I'm not like overly thrilled about the offense. There are some issues there that can't be ignored. You know, the kind of the kryptonite of rush for and get pressure and drop everybody else back is still the formula. It's scary that, and the Titans, you know, didn't really have anybody that's a world beater as far as rushing the passer. They have some quality guys, but nobody that's just, like, elite pass rusher. So that's what scares me, too. So, again, my question remains the same. How much do you have to give up for (laughs) an Alaramie Tunsil for Orlando Brown Jr. trade and for a time machine to go back before the NFL trade trade deadline to do it? I am concerned. A lot of those concerns are alleviated by the fact that Patrick Mahomes exists and that he can have FU games and just do it himself. Just grab that the Infinity Gauntlet and Thanos this thing. But there are definitely some things that make me nervous. Um, I tackle play in this game. I was lucky enough to get to go. Uh, friend of our, shout out to Micah. Someone Lauren knew growing up and uh, we've reconnected with. And he's, a, he's just a really good guy. And Occasionally gets uh, a ticket from work, so I got to go with him to the game. Tackles got worked in this one, and while maybe they didn't get worked, I thought the interior of the line wasn't as good as they've been in the past, and it accentuated how bad the tackle play was because there wasn't somewhere somewhere for Mahomes to step up to, so he had to bail an awful lot, and you started to see him with happy feet and, and wanting to get rid of the ball faster, bailing on an occasional clean pocket, That kind of thing makes me nervous, that there are teams out there that can get pressure with four, and it seems to catch us off guard at times. And there's not really a counterpunch that the Chiefs use and are consistent with. So that part's scary. On the other hand, even in a game where I think the receivers had a total of six drops in this one, I'll go back and double check. I think that's what I saw. Which I've, I saw a tweet earlier. I meant to have it up for the podcast. I'll find it here. But a tweet where they had six drops in the game, which is tied for most in the NFL in any one NFL game this year. That you were still able to produce three quality performances with Kelsey Juju and, and Nicole. So even on your best, on your not your best night, you're able to find a way to be productive at times and when it matters. But I like to not have to worry have to rely on Mahomes to just say, eff it, I'll do it myself, as much as they needed him to do in this game. Real quickly though, I do want to focus on what I actually thought was a positive, and that was what Kadarius Tony how Kadarius Tony looked in the game. Not a ton of activity, two targets, two catches, but looked pretty comfortable out there. And he wasn't out there for an awful lot, but they did make a point of getting him the ball and a couple of points during the game what did you guys think in his limited time what did you think of the integrate integration of cadarius tony how did he look did it change your expectations on a timeline at all did it make you think maybe you might need a little longer maybe it's a shorter time to pick up any alterations to how you thought what did you think of his performance sam will let you go first again nothing you can complain about
1: i mean for a limited amount of time the guy put up two highlights that I constantly am seeing on the Twitter stream of a route that just you watch it and you're like, how, how does a human body move that way? Like, I think it, I think it was his first catch of the game where he just shakes a linebacker like guys probably still looking for his shoes. Cause it was a gross route and then actually blocking as a wide receiver, like feeling comfortable crack, crack backing on a guy. So, I mean, I, like it excites you just because it's another weapon. Again, it's it's a a weapon I we don't we're lacking because of the of Tyreek's Tyreek's absence of that guy that has the ability to get open in, in short yardage. Like obviously Kelsey can do it, but the other wide receivers we have are all guys that seem to need a little bit more time to have routes open up to get their to get their space. Where what we saw with Kadarius was just his short area quickness. An ability to change direction. And I think that's going to do wonders once he gets, again, it's going to take him a while to get into the playbook and fully understand it. But I think Andy's probably going to be drawing up plays specifically for him or being able to work him in because I, he just has a skill set that none of our wide receivers have.
0: Jacob, what about you? How did you feel about how Tony performed, how he was used and integrated into the game plan? I'm the easiest person to convince of any chiefs, I'll call them Chiefs conspiracy theories. We, we talked previous weeks. I bought right back into Frank Clark. I'm all in on Tony. I'm all in. Man, rocked another man, man, ran a filthy route. He showed great hands on the catch he had upfield, which is exciting. You know, they don't have a ton of guys that do that. He's the most complete receiver I think they have outside of Juju. I think this is an easy game to get excited about him because. You didn't see enough of him to see any flaws, and the highlights that you saw were were clear examples of why he was a first round pick. You know that route. It looked like he got held on that route too, and just how he moved. It's even if we weren't an audio only medium, it would be hard to describe and show what he did because no, none of us or most people who are alive today can move that way. I
1: motioned to have Sean try to demonstrate this route. Do you want me to die? (laughs) No, but I want a video clip that goes on Twitter. Oh, my God. That gets us more (laughs) followers.
0: Every possible muscle in my body would explode if I tried to do what he did. Both hamstrings would go immediately. I would, like, feel my back muscles pop the next day when I tried to get out of bed from the strain from the previous day. I would tear everything in my knees. Javante Williams' injuries would have nothing on what happened inside of my knees at that point. But I think this is a good game to show like his strengths. And I think if you're a G's fan, get excited. Like, Yes, you should be excited. You see the talent that he has and, and, and the physical abilities. And also, like you said, the, not just the ability, but the willingness to throw a, a legit I'm going to crack you block on the crackback block that he had. That is exciting, like a uh, showing a willingness to get in there and do the dirty work while also being able to showcase your ability. I again would caution people to not elevate their expectations to him becoming the number one receiver anytime soon. I would I would caution against that. But if you're excited as a Chiefs fan, he he had a really nice, again short and limited showing, but the limited time he had, you saw all the reasons that you should be excited about him being a chief. Last thing on the offense and we'll, we're finishing unfortunately with a negative but it needs to be addressed and I said it at the top when we're talking about the offense tackle position was not good. It, it was really bad and it seems like there are times like any time that we have these games where it's like the recently where the number one defense comes in and then like Orlando Brown jr and Andrew Wiley have really good games you know they with the game i think the game plan helped a lot but they neutralized nick bosa for the most part i thought they looked competent against the bills they beat the tar out of the tampa bay bucks and then this game happens and the colts game happens and it's just too many of these things where it's like even when they win it's mm, i don't feel good about this situation at all Rather than say, like, what do you make of the tackles? Because I think we all kind of understand that even when they play well, these these guys are not the long-term answer. I don't think any of us thought Andrew Wiley was the long-term answer. I think it's become abundantly clear that while Orlando Brown Jr., I think is a, is a fine tackle to have, where he's going to excel, if he excels at all, is that right tackle, and he's not going to play right tackle uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs, barring some major changes in how he wants to be perceived and paid. So, how would you guys go about trying to address this position in season and in the primarily off season? What, do you, how do you fix this? Because you have a first round pick, a clear need still at defensive end. We'd already Jacob's already mentioned a couple of times, like wanting the Chiefs to move up in the draft to go get an edge player because that's where you get them. That's kind of where you get elite tackle play as well. How would you go about getting? fixing this position and helping the position for the rest of the year, knowing that you're probably going to need two tackles at the end of the season. Jacob will let you bat lead off here. What's Lucas Niang doing? Rehabbing. <laughs> <laughs> Has, wasn't that what he's been doing for like the last two years? Seems like. <laughs> <sighs> he's the Derek Rose of the Chiefs. Sorry, Sean. What could have been? What could have been? (laughs) I think that's where we'll always live with Lucas Niang as well. Your in-season solution is keep chipping, guys. Keep throwing the running back out there on a route where the player has to run around them. I think you're just going to have to give a ton of help. That's going to be your offense. And it works. It messes with the defense. They are not ready for it. I think it's been some of the most efficient offense they've had rather than just straight dropbacks. Uh, and then as far as the season goes, my question remains, as always, how much do you have to give up in a straight trade for Orlando Brown Jr. and Laramie Tunsil? Because I do think that is a realistic option. I don't think it's completely out of left field. I didn't think it was a realistic in-season option, but I don't think it's insane in the off season with how the contract negotiations – Have gone thus far with Orlando Brown. And then, yeah, I think you're stuck drafting another tackle. And the crappy thing is, like you said, it's like, but they also need a pass rusher. So which one are you going to prioritize in the draft? Because either one you're probably going to trade up for. So we're going to have a hole again next year is what I'm saying. Well, and, like, and you know, God bless the man, Seth Kaiser, the athletic and chief of the North newsletter. You actually posed that question to him because this is your undying mission at this point is to get Larry Thompson to the chiefs.
1: Sean, and, I don't
0: like you uh, watching my internet activity. Hey, man, I don't have, I don't follow that many people from our Twitter account. I, I keep it tailored. If this was a, a brisket, I would be a competition trim. So you're like one of, a handful of people I'm following. Seth did respond to you, and he said at least a first. In addition to Orlando Brown Jr. going to the to the Texans, I'd take it, and I I would too. I agree. I would too. I think I would do that move. But what that does do is it eliminates the option, barring barring you know the un the unanticipated of a guy outperforming his draft status, of uh, being able to move up in the draft and go get a guy for for edge or right tackle or whatever the case might be. Now, who knows what happens in free agency, who's a cap, casualty, et cetera. We'll see um, before I go off on too big a tangent. Sam, what about you? How would you prioritize fixing this position, especially coming the offseason when you'll have a little more time and, and resources to address it? Just a quick side note on Laramie Tunsil. I knew I was a Laramie Tunsil fan, and actually I should probably announce now that I'm a stan. Laramie Tunsil and I have the same birthday. Ah, This all tracks now. In season, again, hope we don't have to play the
1: Titans in the playoffs. Titans, and I guess, again, we, we are anything but a Chiefs podcast, in that I don't think any of us watch many other games besides the Chiefs game. So I don't think we get a great view of other teams. As we talked about last week, we were talking crap on the Titans defense. That's a good defense. I don't care what you say. That's a good – and they've got a set of defensive linemen that know how to play defensive line. Like, I think – I can't remember which of the three said it on, on time's ours, but they they said Jeffrey Simmons is, like, he is Chris jones light, And I – can see that he is he he has a special he has a unique set of skills at the defense tackle position that you don't see other than your top guys so I think he's that next upcoming tackle the thing with the two defensive ends that they were playing one thing I've noticed is the guys that tend to it's weird because you would think it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense because of what what Orlando Brown is but a lot of times it seems the guys that have been giving them trouble have been your more all around defensive linemen this year not just the straight pass rushers but these are these guys are both I had to look up their sizes they're bigger defensive ends they are both 280 not tall 165 163 and it's one of the it's like that position where he just they can beat him in multiple areas but I think that the biggest downside to that game was the Chiefs gave up on the running game so early that that defensive line just said, "All right, pinning them back and let's go." And that's why Mahomes was so successful successful at scrambling, I think, because he understood that's what the defensive line was doing. So he was able to work through that pocket. That that's hard on an offensive lineman. I can, I if uh, the college I played at, we were a passing offense. I am not. A, I was not a good pass blocker. I was a run blocking offensive lineman. It didn't work that well. And we it just it's hard when the defensive line knows what the what the play is, basically, that this is a pass play to block them. That's straightforward. So I think going forward this season, you just have to scheme around it. You do have to chip. You have to leave in extra blockers. I think you have to rely heavily on Jarek McKinnon as your running back because he is the most complete blocker in that backfield. He is the one that understands how to do protection in the backfield. Offseason-wise, I think we have to go back to, God, it was like early 2000s Chiefs where we were drafting all offensive linemen, or that's what we wanted us to do, to fix something. That or is maybe Eric Fisher's out there playing around somewhere. Who knows? Maybe the right tackle Eric Fisher. I'd do it at this point. Like, I, I don't know, it, you, I just, you have to get new blood in. You have to get as many options as you can to play that position because Wiley's a good tackle. He is not a starting NFL tackle. Like, he, he could be a starting NFL tackle on most teams, I think, but not the Chiefs because he gets exposed because that's the weak link. So I think we have to get as many bodies at that position as you can to find the best option. You've got Darian Kennard. I don't know if Darian Kennard's going to be anything. You've got Lucas Niang, if he ever gets to play again. Like, you have options. It's just having to explore them. I just don't want them to mess around with it too much in season because even though the line didn't look great this week, I think
0: overall they're serviceable enough for this season. Just an update on, you know, who, what tackles are going to be available. Here's what Spotrek says to the left tackles who are available. Number one, there's only four guys they have listed, which tells me that teams don't let their left tackles hit free agency. Number one, we know the 26-and-a-half-year-old Orlando Brown Jr. is the currently highest paid. That's what these are ranked by. You have 33-year-old Kelvin Beecham from Arizona, who's currently making $2 million this year. You have 40 year-old Jason Peters who will be 41 at the end of the yep. season. That's the guy. Is it bad that I prefer that over Orlando Brown next year? <laughs> and then you have Dakota Dozier for Chicago. I don't, I don't know that two of the four guys are even the starters at left tackle. I have a new plan. I'm on board Jacob with making the move for Tunsil. I think that's that makes a lot of sense. If you're on SPO track and you just go to tackles, the second tackle listed is right tackle and Jack Conklin for the Cleveland Browns. I would be down with him at right tackle. I think he's legit. I mean, we've done pretty well taking Cleveland
1: Brown offensive linemen from them, so I'm yeah. down just continually doing
0: that. Yeah, especially in the right tackle position, that's yeah. worked out pretty well for us. Speaking of that, what's he doing? Mitch. <laughs> He's barbecuing and going on the radio. and has I was going to say, I don't want to rag on anybody, yeah. but I might be more fit looking than Mitch Schwartz at this point. He got skinny fast, man. He he lost a lot <laughs> that of that tackle weight. Yeah, he lost that NFL size. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't know he played tackle, you'd just be like, oh, that's a pretty big dude. And, and you know. I don't know Aldi, wherever people shop. He probably shops somewhere other than Aldi, being real. But, don't <laughs> know. I'm I not sure Mitch Shores probably even knows what an Aldi is. I probably bet he not.
1: does. He he knows Aldi's got the got the good brisket. Oh Jesus! The best 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 <laughs> price per pound.
0: Uh, what I'm hearing now is Sam doesn't know what an Aldi is either. So, <laughs> Can you imagine getting a, a brisket from Aldi? <laughs> i
1: know went to a trader joe's for the first time in my life this weekend which oh, tells wow. me that you don't understand it don't get it it's it's, it's price a... chopper
0: but wait wait expensive. wait. it's more expensive and more of this stuff is frozen yeah also one of the first times i went into a trader joe's uh in the heart of hipster land in denver i was wearing a white cutoff shirt and then shorts with paint on them. I have never felt more out of place. I was, I was trying to put my hair into a man bun while I was in the store and roll up my jeans to ride my bicycle home. I was saying, did you,
1: did you like, when you checked out, did they give you a free fixed gear
0: bike? Like, was that no, the, the, the fix-it bike station's are already outside, so they were yeah. fine with it. They instead tried to talk to me about vinyl. Gotcha. That's hilarious. Uh yeah, I think that would be my start. And then just I don't know. I who's who's available at Edge. Like this might be the year where you're like, maybe we spend a bit, you know? Um, I don't know who else you're looking for uh at this point. I'm trying to pull up Edge. slow track just went kaput. So We'll see what happens there if that comes back around. But, yeah, I I think if you're going to fix the offensive line, you start there. If you are going to trade. Otherwise, I'm like, just move up in the draft. This is one year where I would be very okay and borderline adamant about moving up to go get an elite tackle or an elite edge. Probably leaning tackle if possible, just depending on what free agency holds. It's going to be hard to tell until we get closer and we see, like, Who's a cap casualty, who's not re-signed, et cetera, et cetera, all that jazz. But I think this is the year that they gotta they gotta be aggressive this offseason and try to find some long term answers. They're gonna be around for a while. Um, because the TV money's coming. They should have a ton of cap room next offseason. This is the year I think you maybe pivot um not away completely from you know the the draft, because you obviously have a great draft class, you still need cheap talent, but those two positions specifically. Try not to get a Frank Clark deal, but be aggressive. Let's go ahead and flip to the other side of the ball and talk about the defense, who really had a tale of two halves where the first half looked rough, guys. It looked like Derrick Henry was going to get whatever he wanted initially because those, those two big runs did come early, and they just kept kind of pushing it down the field, pushing it down the field. The defense really couldn't wrangle, Malik Willis. Either it was kind of the one thing he was able to do was run the ball. He had eight uh, attempts for 40 yards. Derrick Henry had 17 carries for 115 and two touchdowns. They were kind of able to move the ball, however, they wanted in the run game early, and then all of that went away in the second half. And the defense really made some some key adjustments that I do want to talk about here. We'll get into that in, this, in just a moment, but. Defense holds the Titans to 17 points. Which half do you guys believe is more representative of what this defense is? Sam, we'll let you bat lead off this then. Calamity of errors for sure. Like Leo Chanel got a
1: chance. That experiment failed pretty quickly. Had three, my memory, three major plays. The two Derrick Henry runs and then the two-yard dump off to the tight end that went for like 80 yards. And that was the offense of the... Titans in the first half, I feel like like that was probably 70% of their offensive yards that, that half. Um, and it was just bad tackling. I mean, and that's not what this team is. That's a function of a bygone Chiefs defenses that fortunately we have not seen as much. Um, we saw some big adjustments. Uh, I think the biggest is allowing Snead to play almost a box safety nickel linebacker type position and just corral him and kind of his and Willie Gay's speed really kept everything inside to funnel it to your good tacklers. So I think great adjustments by Spags overall. It's interesting because when you talk about a team like the Titans, you talk about Derrick Henry wearing you down, where in reality over time it seemed like our defense got better, which is the opposite of what you typically think of that kind of team. So I think
0: second half definitely is what you should expect out of this defense. James, do you agree with Sam or do you have a different opinion on which half is more what this defense actually is? Yeah. I think the second half is more reflective of what the defense is against a rookie quarterback in a second start. So I can't sit here and like praise them totally because there was obvious issues in the first half. I think one of the big, Changes they made was getting Derek Naughty off the field because man was just getting leveled again. Of, I said it as when you're defensive tackle, you shouldn't be playing nine yards up the field. It's like I should see you miss a guy a yard or two up the field if you miss him or you're near him. Instead, it was you were pushed nine yards on the field. I think the, I thought that made a very large difference, and that's been the issue in the running game. Is you know we've I've harped on it. We've harped on it of running back just getting a free run to the second level with their offense alignment running at the second level because the defensive tackle play was pretty poor. So that was, I think. A great adjustment and again i'm like i said i'm praising them for the way they played in the second half was the way you should have played against a rookie quarterback i think the second half is more representative of what they do if they keep the personnel who played the second half on the field going forward i was really sad about leo chanel in this one uh, or chanel in this one i really wanted to see i keep calling him chanel it's chanel uh i really wanted him to be the guy in this game. I thought this was kind of a game that was built for his skill set, and it just it didn't happen. And and it was like right off the bat. He had he had Derrick Henry dead to right in the hole, had him wrapped up, and Derrick Henry just does what Her- Derrick Henry does and ran over him and, and just kept going. Sean, I think it's because you're looking at the wrong skill set for Leo Chanel. This is a Boomer Grigsby situation. Not that he's going to go play fullback. But get Leo Chanel at the edge. Defensive tight end? I'd, I'd take either at this point. <laughs> if he can't tackle Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry is basically a tight end. So Derrick, Derrick Henry is, is a, an, an offensive lineman with a 4-4 speed. Yeah. Like there is no
1: no human I, I don't ever blame a man for not tackling Derrick Henry. After what he did to uh, Josh Norman. And just launched him with a stiff arm. I think everyone should just be like, I i don't want that
0: as my highlight of my career. <laughs> that was sad for me. Derek Naughty, again, to your point, Jacob, was the one I was hoping to see more improvement after a bye week, and it was worse. So when the Chiefs decided that Colin Saunders and uh LeJarius Sneed were going to be filling those positions in the second half, and you saw Massive improvement. It seems to me that that should be the key going forward, regardless of whether it's a running team like this or not. Because, we'll, we'll just use this as a transition to our next question about the defense. But, Legarious, mean, if you don't if you don't watch him every day the way Chase fans do, you will not realize just how valuable he is to this defense because he does everything. This is, this is why I thought he'd be an all-pro, not just because I thought he would be, you know, a, a Darrell Rivas shutdown corner, because I don't think that's really his skill set, but because he can do literally everything at a high level. The other part that didn't, that I think Chiefs fans have been seeing this year, but this was the biggest example, is that Colin Saunders, I think, is for real. And I think this is what you were hoping would be realized when you saw the athletic potential when they drafted him in third round in twenty nineteen was it, it twenty nineteen it's twenty nineteen same draft that McCole Hartman got drafted. This is what you were hoping for that the athletic potential would be realized. Colin Saunders had a terrific game. He led the Chiefs in tackles with six, has a sack, a quarterback hit, tackle for a loss. He he played fantastic football. I want more Colin Saunders on this team. Now the problem is, is that this is last year on his deal. So to put put it to you guys, has Colin Saunders done enough in this year cuz this is really what we have to go on is this year with him being injured the previous year, rookie year, third round pick in a rookie season, uh back in his rookie year. You don't have a lot of Colin Saunders. He's been hurt before this year. Has he done enough in this season for you guys to warrant an extension? Jacob will let you bat lead off this time. Yes, but on a Derek Naughty type deal, you know, string the guy out year at a time. Once he comes up for the back half of the year and is like, I'm going to get about a sack a game and be stout up the front. I'm sorry, up the center. Then I think you could think about more of a long-term thing. But I think, Yeah, I think you string them out on one-year deals, kind of like they've done for Derek Nottie. Sam, what about you? Do you think that Colin Saunders has done enough to get an extension, or are you maybe holding off at this point? More than likely, yes. Um,
1: He, again, also – he offers so much more than Derek Nottie does, Uh, just everything he can bring that I think he is a more worthy – candidate of getting extension than Derek Naughty may have been, but yeah, it, it all depends on what it's going to cost to get them back. I mean, I know you really, we have expenditures that are going to have to come either this season or in the off season. Some of them will be very large if we want to see these players stay on the chiefs. So are we going to sacrifice, maybe a Juju Smith Schuster for a Colin Saunders? Something of that nature. Obviously, that's just one example, but kind of my meaning is is what is he going to cost? Is it going to sacrifice bringing, keeping a player that may be more impactful than Colin Saunders? I wouldn't, but if you can keep him on a ra- relatively good deal, I definitely would be interested in keeping him around. Uh, do you guys know who the highest-rated player on the Chiefs based off PFF was in this game? On and, either and- side? Or just defense. Just both. Both sides. Just highest rate Chief player.
0: <laughs> well, they hate Patrick Mahomes, so I'm gonna say I'll say you know I'm gonna say they're not gonna say Colin Saunders. I'll say they say George George Karloftis. Uh I'll go with Willie Gay. Both wrong.
1: It was your guy, Sean. Saying the guy that is most impactful for the team. It is will it is Lajarius Sneed.
0: Finally, my guys getting recognition.
1: Just, I was just, I mean, it was roundabout way of just getting to your point that, yes, LeJarrius Need does a lot for this team. And I love the fact that he can play so many. Like, he is a nickel corner, but his ability stretches beyond just being a nickel corner. Again, showing that I think later in his years, he could easily be a safety for us. And it just, he, like I said, him transitioning to that, that position that linebacker slash safety position changed the shape of the way the defense performed in this game. So just wanted to go back because you did it was a solid point you made of luxurious Sneed is a very important aspect of this defense that gets overlooked by the
0: ways of Chris Jones and, and gay and those guys. Yeah. Like Sneed better get the extension first before. Yeah. Before anyone on the defense, I'll say that. And I'll say that. Comfortably, outside of Chris Jones, Chris Jones, and the Jerry Steen, let's do that. I am for bringing Colin Saunders back, and I, I, I'm, and I'll, I'll be a little more aggressive, Jacob. I would be willing to do like a three year deal that's similar in structure to how a Marquez Valdez Scantling deal is, where the last year is kind of the, the one that's easy to get out on, that it's essentially a two year deal, but you have outs. In year two and year three, in year three, you're basically saving everything. He he wasn't just that he held up in the run game better than Derek Naughty. He he did. But he also he did do the things like take on double teams and, and fill gaps and do that. But he also shed blockers, beat double teams, provided pass rush. His sack of Malik Willis was it's ridiculous watching Colin Saunders run. It's it's the most bizarre thing to watch on the field is to see this guy who's 325, 330 pounds just hauling towards a quarterback who is was touted for his athleticism and running ability and track him down. And there was another point where I thought Colin was going to get him. And it was just, you know, one of those things where Malik is athletic and was able to get away. I, I'd be all for bringing Colin back. I think he's done enough this year that even if you don't necessarily feel comfortable bringing him in to be the starter next year, I want him on the team because I think he would be an incredibly valuable piece um, to the Chiefs' defense. I think they're going to have a few choices like that, but he's one that I would would really like to have back. How much is that per year for your three-year deal? I would feel comfortable in the four to six range. I think that's where I sit. If they went into like the 7 and 8, that's where I get a little uneasy, unless that back year is really what's inflating the deal and it's all just dummy money. How much do you think Derek Naughty got this year? I think he was what? It's still his rookie deal, so I don't think it was much. And he was a, a third-round pick? Second-round pick? Somewhere in there? Yeah, he was a, um, a third-round pick was, that year. I don't think it was his rookie year. I think they signed him to a one-year deal. You're right. You're right. Um, I'm going to say four. I think it was like three to four million, somewhere in there. One year of 1.95 that could work up to 2.7. Okay, so that's what I'm thinking. It was the escalator. I, I, I think Colin escalator. Saunders is like one for three-ish. One for three and a half-ish, not much more than that. I just, I just want to make sure that I think you're a little off your rocker over there. To know that- <laughs> Now that we do disagree sometimes on this. Um, While we're on defensive line, I've been out here drooling over NFL free agents. Not drooling, but not because I'm like highly intrigued, but because I'm 815 and my brain's done. The most exciting free agent probably this upcoming year on the edge is Yannick Ngakwe. He's the most intriguing one of the bunch that's out there. There's a bunch of just like, Brett Veach specials like Dante Fowler Jr. would be one that's out there. And I was only looking at guys that were like 27, 28-ish. I was not concerned about the 33-year-olds like Justin Houston, which we've also talked about would never come around anyway. But we were talking defensive line and values. So that'll be fun in the offseason to talk about. For those confused by Jacob's eight fifteen comment, comment, uh, remember he's an hour behind in Denver. Um, Which may not matter because he's also a father, so he's basically three hours ahead of us already mentally, So, and a teacher. So that also factors in. What also factors in is that this is a podcast where no one knows what the clock says on our screens. (laughs) (laughs) Last thing on the defense, and then we'll get to our, our preview of the game this coming weekend. Trent McDuffie played a full game, guys. His first full game of NFL action, and... If you follow uh, Daniel Harms on Twitter of RGR Football, he's the film analyst uh, for RGR Football on YouTube. You can find him at at Way. He tracked all of Trent McDuffie's um, coverage stamps, and it's impressive, to say the least. He... Complete blanket. Then uh, Mike Renner of PFF... Who's their lead draft analyst uh, over at uh, Pro Football Focus? Did tweet out that, quote, Chiefs cornerback Trent McDuffie is now 45 coverage snaps into his NFL career and still hasn't allowed a catch, end quote. Granted, 45 snaps is not a lot considering how many games he's missed. But what do we make of Trent McDuffie's first full game? And the impact he had on the secondary in this one, Sam, we'll let you bat lead off this time.
1: To quote the famous Doc from *Remember the Titans*, "We got ourselves a football player." <laughs> <laughs> because Trent McDuffie's a pretty good cornerback. Like, I really wish he would have stayed healthy because it'd be it'd be really interesting to have that comparison. Because obviously, the other rookie corner that's having just an amazing. Pretty amazing year as Sauce Gardner for the Jets. Like I wish you could have that side-by-side comparison right now because Sauce is having a ridiculous failure which I think most of us kind of assumed he would because of the kind of player he is. But it'd just be really interesting to see what kind of value we actually got out of McDuffie. Cause I think we got a very solid player for a steal and, and within the first round. So I think he he shores up – he makes a more solid side to the ball where you feel more comfortable knowing that, you know, you're still starting two rookies, but only one of them might be still developing because I think Trent's a little – probably a little further along as far as his development just as a, an overall football player. So uh, it, you can't – I mean, fingers crossed he stays healthy, I guess is what –
0: all I can say. <laughs> I have a stat here on, this is from Brett Coleman, who's uh, an analyst on, uh, from the film room on YouTube, somebody that is fantastic and has worked in <clears throat> uh, ESPN as an analyst and things like that before, but he's he's really good. He compiled this about Sauce Gardener, so just to pour a poor comparison of where like Sam's coming from uh, when he's talking about how good Sauce has been this year. Uh, Brett Coleman said receivers covered by Sauce this year Amari Cooper, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, Tyree Kilt, Jalen Waddell, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Stephon Diggs, and Gabe Davis. Total catches versus man coverage four catches for 28 yards. Sauce Gardner Pretty might good. be, might be, might be well good. So if Trent McDuffie can be anything close to that, that would be amazing. Uh, Jacob, what about you? What do you, do you think of the impact that? Uh, McDuffie had in his first NFL. To quote uh, Coach Yost from Remember the Titans, we blitz all night. Oh, actually. <laughs> Jacob's done for the night. He's officially <laughs> tapped out. Uh, yeah, sorry to get back on topic. Coach Yost was also in the newest Halloween movie, and I was really embarrassed for him. I was real, <laughs> real embarrassed for him. But... Uh, Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame for Trent McDuffie. No, realistically, I mean, realistically, number one, he was going against a rookie quarterback, so he didn't get tested that much. But, man, anytime the ball went his way, it was like he was on his man, was in good enough position. He didn't have to grab. He didn't have to be all over the guy. I think we got ourselves a football play. <laughs> also, late, real quick, can I shout out? another podcast that will never know we exist, which is the Kelsey brothers podcast. I finally listened to it for the first time this week. I was dying laughing when they were talking about their favorite football movies. It's fantastic. They are, they are real good. The fact that like, as I said,
1: they will be the next Manning cast and the Manning cast had them on. Called it.
0: (laughs) They're naturally funny. I think the Manning's are funny, but the Trek Kelsey's I think are more naturally funny than. Oh yeah. Peyton and Eli. Peyton, Peyton and, and Eli, Eli are more insightful. Funny. They're more yeah. insightful to the game, but those two are even more funny and entertaining.
1: Peyton and Eli are the awkward, funny, where Jason and Travis are just funny. Accurate. Also, uh, just because we're on a complete tangent, we're not the only podcast that goes on p- complete random tangents. If you haven't listened to the most recent episode of Times Ours, Jacob, yes. they have a good 15 minute conversation about veggie Tales. It spoke oh, to me. Yeah. How dare, take my How dare they take our thing? How dare they? I was just like, "What
0: is Like, this sounds like our podcast. <laughs> I feel like Josh Briscoe and us would be great friends because we all kind of come from the same generation, and uh, if, the way he talks is, it sounds like things that we say. And they all just bought in on this. Weekend. He ever starts to reference Bible Man, I was gonna say, we oh, like we Gail, I will tweet at the man. I'll be like, we need to have you on." Because you've now talked about VeggieTales and Bible Man. These are both things that have been referenced on our podcast. Officially, everyone has turned off our podcast at this point, by the way, because nobody knows what Bible Man is. But Sean, I I have one request for a post for our Twitter account this week. Please just put up a photo of Bible Man and just ask, who is this man? And see how many responses we get. I'll retweet it. I have at least 150 followers now, hopefully after following every single person that's ever liked anything that i have yes i'm desperate please follow me we're gonna lose like a hundred followers after after i put up that picture but that's okay it'll be fun uh last thing on we'll McDuffie, know the true ogs are though right. that's what really matters for sure last thing i had only thing i have on mcduffie is i think that having him out there is a real reason why i think the chiefs felt comfortable moving legerius Snead to that third linebacker role and moving Chanel back to the bench is because you knew you had a guy that's going to be reliable no matter what. And I think that's a lot to to say of a rookie, especially one who's getting his first full game uh, in the NFL. But that just kind of seems to be the theme of the Chiefs rookie corners this year. So hopefully he continues to stay healthy because I'm I'm even more excited now. Granted, against a receiving core that none of the wide receivers had a catch, at all so we'll see what happens when they play like you know a competent quarterback who's not in his second nfl start but hall of fame rookie class of cornerbacks that's what that means (laughs) they're all extended all hall of famers um but we'll see well i i am excited for for mcduffie going forward all right we've Just about completely derailed this podcast, so let's try to uh, talk about the Chiefs just one last time, and they are going to hopefully get a bit of a break, both for the fans and for us, uh, because it won't be a Sunday night game, so some of us will be able to get some real sleep, and hopefully it'll be a bit of a break on the field because they're going to play the Jacksonville Jaguars at noon this coming Sunday. What do we think, guys? This Jacksonville team's weird. They've got some pieces that are scary and have a ton of talent, but it's also Jacksonville. And I don't really know what to think of it. So, and especially after saying I thought they were going to drub the Titans, and the Titans ended up being way better than I thought they were. I thought that was a very phony record coming into uh, the Chiefs at 5-2. and two. But So what do we make of the Jaguars? Uh, what are the, Let's start on offense. What do you think the Chiefs need to do to be successful, especially coming off a, a week where they did not look good at finishing uh, their drives? Um, Jacob, will let you go first. I think I mean I do think adjust. You've got to adjust to the pressure. It's gonna it's gonna happen if you aren't game planning for the inevitable, which I think came back to bite them this week. Jaguars are a team that's never had problems getting quality defenders on their squad. I think the same thing still rings true as far as their defense goes. They are a solid defense. That's what I've got. Uh, and they also have our man, Josh Allen. So anytime they'd like to just send him across the field and let them play for our team. Perfect. Uh, one more thing to note on the Jaguars. To quote the great mean girls, stop trying to make fetch happen. I watched the Jaguars-Broncos game, and I know that that's out of the norm for what Sam claims, that I don't watch any football, which is not true, Sam. I'm not sure when my wife's, Birthday is, and I'm not even sure what my son's middle name is, but I watched a lot of football this last weekend. So I would appreciate you stop judging the amount of football I'm watching, just assuming. But anyway, to go back and quote the Mean Girls, I watched the Broncos and Jaguars. The announcers were trying so hard to convince us that Trayvon Walker was the next coming of Lawrence Taylor. I was like, okay, stop trying to make this happen. I was like, I'm sure he's a fine player. Like, yeah, he's still working through some stuff, but, man, you can just see the skill popping off the screen. I'm like, which guy are you talking about? Anyway, that's my feed on a jaguar. Sam, what about you? Offensively, what do the Chiefs need to do to bounce back this week? I would say they just play a complete game. It's
1: hard because – even though the Titans game was such a strange game, which, again, Chiefs only play weird games, you saw the explosiveness, you saw the ability. It's just finishing the plays, finishing the drives, scoring points. Um, Obviously, McCole Hardman needs to score three touchdowns a game. That is a requirement from now on because we can't score if he doesn't. And when Travis Kelsey's not scoring touchdowns, it's a bad deal. So... I think just just be more proficient on offense more than anything, because this this is a good defensive team. Oh, what's his name? I'm gonna not even gonna try to butcher his first name. Olakon, their linebacker, is on my dynasty fantasy team, and he typically scores more points than almost everybody. So he's apparently a very good linebacker. That's how I judge teams now, John. It's your fault. Dynasty football has that's how I judge players <laughs> on other teams is how many points did they score this week? I don't know anything about him, but he scores like 30 points a game. So it helps. So it works now. It helps. So yeah, I, I think just being being proficient and, and putting the ball in the end zone. And then Bucker needs to stop missing kicks. <sighs> yeah. We didn't even talk about that, but that needs to stop. Please and thank you.
0: Yeah, I won't add too much more. I would narrow the focus and say I think the Chiefs need to finish their drives because they racked up plenty of yards and they had a lot of real shiny stat lines but punching it in seemed to be the real problem I think if they focus on finishing the drives being more proficient in the red zone don't let things stall out don't leave it up to a kicker who's coming off an injury and clearly is dealing with some yips or maybe has something lingering that we don't know about so finish the drives and punch the ball into the red zone And I think everything will be fine from there. Defensively, what do we need to see? What do they need to build on? What do you hope to see that they build on? Let's try to phrase it that way on the third time uh, against the Jaguars. Um, Sam, we'll let you go first.
1: Yeah, I think this is is an offense that has a lot of potential. I think they have a lot of young, talented weapons. We have not seen it come to fruition as far as what that talent could be. I mean – Obviously, Sunshine was supposed to be the next coming of God, and he has not turned into much as of yet. And if you don't know who Sunshine is, you obviously have not seen Trevor Lawrence and or the Titans. They thought they had themselves a football player, but they have not yet. Good tie in there. Same, I'm tired too. That's-
0: That's <laughs> <great>. <laughs> saying Trevor Lawrence is <laughs> like, sunshine. uh,
1: like, yeah. They, I think it's just it's a matter of. Playing the second half of the Titans game, tackling, playing your position. Because that that's the one thing, and they, uh, again, I hate stealing stuff from times ours, they just do such a good job, but they said it with the Titans. The thing that the Titans do well is they just play their positions. Everybody plays their position, and very few people mess up. And we, we can do that. We've seen the Chiefs be able to do that, and when they do, the defense looks so much better. It's when – you do have the Derek Notties not doing what he's in there for. You've got Willie Gay doing – or not Willie Gay not even playing and relying on other linebackers not being able to fill that speed role that that our defense obviously needs. So I think it's just be the second-half Titans defense, play to the strength of the defense, and not allow Trevor Lawrence to get the ball into some of his more explosive players. Obviously, Christian Kirk got played paid like a number-one receiver – Probably not a one-number-one receiver. Travis Etienne, we, I don't know if we still know what he is. Um, they obviously felt comfortable trading, comfortable enough trading away James Robinson, so they feel something with him. But overall, I think it should be a very beatable offense if our play players play the position they're paid to play. I haven't even had anything to drink. That's the bad thing. Sean's had, like, multiple whiskeys. I'm over here just <laughs> –
0: Jager, what, what does a defense need to do to be good? To answer your question on ETN, he's skilled. I, I didn't think he was a world beater when I watched him in that game. I'm completely not sold on Trevor Lawrence. I think he has way too many accuracy issues. He's a guy that when he came out, I was like, dude's ceiling is like limitless. But I don't think he's ever turned that corner of – he has some weird mechanical stuff he does that hurt his accuracy, which I, you know, saw from college. And I was like, ah, oh, somebody in the NFL will work that out of him. And I was like, ah, oh, Doug Peterson, he'll get that out of him. But I still see it where he – you know how Patrick Mahomes can throw off of any platform? I don't see it with Trevor Lawrence. So mm-hmm. it's as simple as that. But, yeah, I think just – I think like you said, just put guys in the right position and they'll be fine. I don't think this is a team that's going to rack up a ton of points on them. I, I just don't see Trevor Lawrence really killing them. It's a style quarterback I think they can handle. Blitz him. Blitz him a lot. I like, well, you I like spit. You blitz Thank you. all night. Thank you. <laughs> that is literally all I have left. <laughs> that was Are that. you going to bench anybody that lets him gain a yard? Yeah. They, they gain, another yard. gain another yard. Another yard. Clearly, clearly that wasn't Ottawa's football team because they wouldn't have had more than three guys to replace all those guys with and they'd have to go back to the original guys. Uh, but yeah, that's my analysis. Blitz them a lot. I don't think the receivers on Jacksonville are good enough to beat the corners consistently. And I think that Trevor Lawrence isn't a good enough quarterback yet to handle the pressure. So I would like to see them blitz the hell out of Trevor Lawrence and see what happens. Make adjustments from there if it does not work. All right, we finally made it. Let's get final scores and bold predictions before we all pass out and or say something else that's ridiculous. Uh, Jacob, bat us lead off. Final score and a bold prediction. What do you got? Is this a home or away game? Tis a home game. Okay. Um, they don't play as well at home. That's why I'm asking. We'll go, uh, I think they score again. I think they scored a decent amount of points, and I go with. 35 to 24, and I always say it's the one I always say now, and I think some of those points at the end are just garbage time scores because that's kind of my go-to line when I make my score prediction on a big win. <laughs> um... My bold prediction, Trevor Lawrence. I like Sean's idea of blitzing a lot, so I'm going to say Trevor Lawrence gets sacked five times. Sam, go ahead and go next. What's your final score and bold prediction?
1: Uh, I think it's a general resurgence of the offense. I think we very rarely see two back-to-back Chiefs games, Chiefs offensive games, where you have that kind of offensive woes. It's not necessarily offensive woes, just not being able to finish drives in general. Uh, so I, I agree with Jacob. I think there's some points scored in this game. Let's say, kind of random one 37, 37 to 15. Just a random score for f- sure. Bold prediction. Uh, let's Say defense. You said five sacks. I say defense. Kadarius, Tony, stick with it. What I say last week? 58 yards? Yes. Darius Stoney, 58 yards and a touchdown. Uh, oh. Giving him a touchdown this week. Didn't get the 58 yards last week, but. It felt like they are like, how can we get this guy in the oh, yeah. No, they, it <laughs> was <laughs> literally like, single. we have
0: to find the way to give this guy the ball just because he's new. I'm going to, I still think they break 30. Um, I'll say 31 for the Chiefs, 20 for the Jaguars. Those edge rushers scare me with our tackle play currently, so uh, that's my only hesitancy. I almost picked a like, 27 or 28 score, which seems low for the Chiefs. Uh, I am gonna steal yours, Sam, and I'm gonna say that the Chiefs pick off Trevor Lawrence three times in this game. I think the rush will cause enough havoc that he will make some real bad throws, and I like that McDuffie's back uh, to help out with the coverage, so I'm gonna say three picks. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for us tonight. If you hung with us through just our our, our, our whatever that was, I'm going to trip over my own words trying to describe what happened. Uh, you are the best. You guys are always the best. We appreciate you spending time with us. Hopefully we get to talk about a less stressful Chiefs win this coming Sunday. Uh, until then, you all stay safe out there. We will talk to you next week. And to quote the great, great Remember the Titans, and you make them remember forever the night they played the Titans. Bye! Bye.